Well, I'm looking forward to concluding our series through the Apostles' Creed. It's been uh, a joy and a, a pain uh, to walk through this series. I say a pain simply because it's, it's been a lot of a work uh, considering what God's Word as a whole has to say about uh, these little bitty lines. It, it, it seems like one short little line, and yet all of God's Word has something to say about uh, much of what we're looking at and considering. And so it's been a, a painstaking task in one sense, but one of the most enriching in my life. And so I, I pray it's been that way for you uh, as we have uh, a, for a time done something different than normal. Rather than walking through an entire book of the Bible, which is our normal appetite and normal diet as a church, we've been looking at uh, lines, thematic lines and using those lines of the creed to go back to God's Word. Lord willing, in 2023, we'll uh, begin a new book study in the book of John uh, on January 1st, and so hope you will join us for that, but we're going to finish this line uh, of the creed. It would, would have been nice if the creed would have organized itself well for us to be considering uh, the virgin birth uh, and conception of Jesus in December, but remember, we had uh, Christmas in October, uh, right? And we had uh, Good Friday in October, and we had Easter in October, so uh, now we're going to consider eternity uh, on Christmas. And uh, I'm glad that we get to do that. I think it'll be intentional. We, we, you've already heard in some of the songs, maybe, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the theme of life already come up. Uh, and this is really one of the biggest questions that I think people have. Whether it's your coworkers uh, that you'll go back uh, to meet with tomorrow, uh, getting ready for the Christmas break, uh, whether it's your classmates that you'll go back and see, uh, whether it's uh, people around the world, they have this question, what happens after I die? Is there life after this life? Is there an eternal life? Is there, is there a heaven? Am I going to be there? And this is what the world religions have been uh, created in some sense to answer that question. How do I have purpose on this life? How do I uh, guarantee, if you could, uh, an eternal life in the next life after I die? And so there are world religions trying to answer this question. Pray these prayers. Go to this place. Do this many uh, religious activities. Um, you know, submit your life to this God. Offer sacrifices to this, this statue. Uh, go to this mountain. This, that, or the other. So that they might have eternal life. And yet, Christ has shown us in uh, the Word, he, sh he showed those who were living with Him that He really was, as He said He was, the resurrection and the life. And, and only Him. He says that He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so if someone is going to make those kinds of claims, we have to consider whether or not they're, they're true. And, and if they're true, then we ought to submit ourselves to, to Him, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Even, even books have been written by adults and children of 
uh, a period where they have died uh, or uh, been out of it, have seen a, a vision or have, they've said, experienced what, he, what eternal life in heaven looks like, have come back to write books uh, about those things. And yet we don't need to uh, look to those books for hope. In fact, nothing those books describe, nothing anyone describes about any kind of situation like that is even close to what the Lord has in store for those who believe. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And there he's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, as it is written from Isaiah, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Uh, there's, uh, I couldn't describe to you in words is what God having given this word to Isaiah, Paul quoting this word, is saying here. No one could describe it. And yet, probably one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible speaks to the fact that though we may not know the details of what eternal life may look like in heaven, we know that there is an eternal life. And so we consider John 3.16, where Jesus Himself says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so, while we may not be able to see or hear, or even be able to describe to others what exactly eternal life will be in its fullest, we know that it is a promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that it's available, not only to us in eternity, but right here, right now. And that's what we want to consider this morning. And so we're going to consider it just phrase by phrase. We're going to consider the life first and then everlasting second. Life and then eternity. And so when we say, when the apostles uh, and the early Christians would recite a creed like this or even this creed itself at their baptism uh, or together as a church in a confession of faith, when they got to this line and they were saying that they believed in life everlasting, when Christians now, 2,000 years later, say they believe in the life everlasting, they're not simply saying that they believe in an eternal existence, that we are eternal beings and that, uh, that there will be an eternal existence similar to Hinduism, that you are reincarnated over and over and over and that uh, we will be eternal beings and depending upon how you live this life, you may get a better one in the next, but if you don't live a good life, then you're going to get a worse one in the next and uh, you'll just kind of simply go through this until you reach a point of nirvana. Let me just say that's not what we're saying. That's been helpful for me to consider uh, in each of these lines, what we're not saying and what we are saying. So we're not saying that it's simply an eternal existence. What we're saying is that there is uh, an eternal life, that there is life everlasting for those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. At the same time, we're also acknowledging that while there is eternal life for those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ, when we say that there's life everlasting 
for those who repent and believe, we're also saying that there's death everlasting for those who do not repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And this is abundantly clear throughout the Scriptures, that there is a separation in the end, that there is a judgment in the end, and that when Christ returns, there will be a resurrection of the living and the dead. There will be a final judgment, and there will be a beginning of the eternal state, either to eternal life or to eternal death. All will be raised, but some to everlasting life in heaven with God, and some to everlasting death in hell away from God. This is a stark reality for us as we consider that, as we consider it for our own selves, but also as we consider it for the world around us, our neighbors around us who do hold to Hinduism, our family members who simply don't believe in God. This is an important reality, especially in this time of the year. Consider some scriptures regarding this everlasting life as well as everlasting death. You might jot down Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 in the Old Testament, where it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Or consider Jesus' own words in the New Testament, in the in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's an interesting phrase that the wrath of God remains on him, as if the wrath of God remains on all, because all have sinned, and fallen short of the, the, the glory of God. But the wrath of God has been removed from those who have believed in Jesus Christ. And since the wrath of God has been removed because Jesus Christ took the wrath for sin upon Himself, those who have repented and believed get to enjoy everlasting life. And so there is this, uh, this everlasting life divide uh, uh, between the everlasting life and the everlasting death. Or consider Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46 when Jesus in that section of Matthew in 24 and 25 is describing the future. He says, and these will go away into eternal punishment. Speaking about those who have yet to believe. But he says, but the righteous into eternal life. And so there is this divide. Everlasting life and everlasting death. And those who have repented and believed are going to enjoy everlasting life now and for forever. But lest we think that it's because of our good works or simply because we've prayed a prayer or walked an aisle or uh, got wet at church, uh, let us remember that this gift of life everlasting is exactly that, a gift. Something good for us to remember this Christmas. It's a, a gift. Something that our repentance and faith is the fruit of. For the Bible says, as I mentioned earlier, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all under the wrath of God. But Paul writes in Romans 
Chapter 6, verse 23, that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of us deserve it. None of us can earn it. But we've been given a gift. A gift in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And when the Lord makes us alive from sin and death, and causes us to realize the truth of that reality, and we repent of our sins, and we believe in Jesus Christ, we have great assurance in God's Word that we will now and forevermore be experiencing eternal life. And this comes uh, as a result on the heels of Jesus and His very own words in speaking about eternity in the future with His disciples uh, and speaking about a time when Jesus was going to go away from His disciples, they were fearful and they struggled and their hearts were troubled. And Jesus looked at them in John chapter 14, verse 1 and said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in Me. He goes on and says, In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, Jesus says, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going, Jesus said. But Thomas said to Him, Lord, we do not know where You are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said those so famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Me. Jesus declares in that verse that He is the only way, that He's the only truth, and that He's the only life available to mankind. That there's no other way to the Father in heaven. There's no other truth uh, about God in heaven. There's no other life apart from Jesus Christ except that which comes through faith in Him. As much as the world wants to tell you that you can live your best life now or that you can find life in this, that, or the other, uh, it's just not the case. Jesus has already made a, uh, a radical statement saying that there is no other life except life in Him. And we ought to trust Him in that. Especially as He's speaking about this eternal life in heaven. He says that He is the only one through which we would be able to enjoy that. And the gift is, let me just say, it's not just that there are many rooms in heaven and one of those has your name on it. The best thing about heaven is not any of the things that are in heaven, but it's who is in heaven. God Himself. God is in heaven. The best thing about heaven is Himself, which is why when we think about eternal life, we ought to be thinking of it in terms of Jesus Himself. That Jesus is eternal life for us. Consider what Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing Jesus, being reconciled to Jesus, uh, being at one with Jesus. That's what eternal life is. Which is why we can say that we have life everlasting right here, right now, if you have turned from your sins and, and believed on Jesus Christ. Because in that moment, you've been born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, that you must to be able to uh, see the kingdom of God. Uh, when we have repented of our sins and believed in Jesus Christ, right then and right there, we have known Jesus in a way that we did not know him before. Uh, many people know about Jesus. He's the most famous, most popular man that's ever walked the earth. Many people know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And Jesus himself says that eternal life is knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so the question is, is do you know Jesus in that way? Do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus in such a way that it's caused you to radically change the way that you live? That something happened in your heart when, when you realized who Jesus was that caused you to be broken over your sins? That at the same time of being broken over your sins, you knew that your shame had been taken by Jesus. And that through repentance of your sin and trust in Christ, you know that you could be forgiven of your sins. And you know Jesus in a way in that moment different than you knew him before. Many of us, I would say probably most of us, especially as members of this church, we've experienced that. You've spent time telling that moment of your life, that story to one another. You've written it down for us as elders and members to read about that moment that you went from knowing about God to knowing God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's eternal life. Eternal life isn't something we're waiting for. It's something that is available to us right here and right now. It's knowing Jesus. John writes, not only Jesus' words in John chapter 17 that I just quoted, but he writes his own words in uh, 1 John 5. Inspired by the Holy Spirit in verse 11, he says, And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life life. Do you know God in the person of Jesus Christ? Or do you simply know about Him from attending church, from stories your parents told you? It's, it's one thing to know about Him. It's a totally different thing to know Him. It's one thing to uh, know about Jesus. It's another thing to have Jesus and to have Jesus is to have life. And to not have Jesus is to not have life. And we also need to know this. That our life, our eternal life in Christ Jesus, is based 
on His resurrection and His eternal life. Our eternal life is based on His eternal life. Consider John 14, verse 19. Yet a little while and the world will see Me no more. Speaking of the time when He would die and rise from the dead and ascend to God in heaven. He says, Yet a little while and the world will see Me no more, but you will see Me. He says, Because I live, you also will live. Christian, like Preston led us so well to consider this morning that we both need Christmas and Easter to have any hope. This Christmas, we have life because Jesus Christ lives. Because He rose from the dead, we have life here and the promise of life everlasting. And if that's the case, Christian, then it should cause us to live radically different lives than the world around us. It should cause us to live with an intentionality that the world doesn't live with. It should cause us to live wholly different. We could consider Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, that we're to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Something that's definitely harder to do around Christmas when we are exchanging earthly gifts and uh, jealous maybe and coveting other earthly gifts that others may have. Uh, in that moment, it is so important for us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And to remember what Paul said, what I said earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. No gift you get at Christmas, uh, no memory that you make at Christmas is going to be able to compare to what you get in Jesus Christ, now and forevermore. No, nothing is going to be able to compare to what uh, you are going to enjoy in its fullest in eternity with God in heaven. And so let's remember that, Christian, uh, this week. We can spend the next weeks of our lives better and different than the rest of the world, knowing that we have life already. No gift is going to give you more life or more enjoyment than Jesus could this Christmas. I promise. God has promised it. I anchor my promise on His promise. It's true. No moment this Christmas season is going to be better than Jesus could be with you, spending time with Him and knowing that you'll get to spend eternity with Him. And so it should cause us to live radically different. Consider this quote. How great a folly it must be for men to shrink at the mortification and the self-denial of self for a few days for such a degree of happiness as this who can't care to deny the cravings of an appetite of their slothfulness for such a manner of glory. That's old speak for this. How foolish are we if we're not willing to kill sin and deny ourselves for a few days of happiness on this earth. 
knowing that there is an eternal glory waiting for those who are able to deny our cravings and control our laziness while on the earth. We have been given life on this earth. We ought to spend our life here intentionally. We ought to be killing sin, denying our flesh, sharing the good news of great joy that should be for all people so that they can too enjoy life everlasting as they repent of their sins. That quote, when I read that one, reminded me of Jim Elliott's famous quote, a missionary who gave his life when trying to spread the gospel in South America. Before he did, he wrote this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We have been given eternal life. And for you to give up everything that you have in this life, knowing that you have eternal life, Jim Elliott says you're not a fool. In fact, uh, you're forgiven. You know what it means to be forgiven. You're a child of God. You're living your life by faith. You're living the only life that really matters in that moment. And so we ought to be encouraged, challenged, convicted to do the same. But not only life, does this line speak about life, but it speaks about life everlasting. And I've spoken of it already and hinted at it, but this everlasting life is something that we not only have in eternity, but it's something that we have right here and right now. We are eternal beings, but unlike God, we had a beginning. We had a moment where we were created. God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have existed for all eternity past and will exist for all eternity future, but all mankind had a moment of creation, a moment of beginning. And yet, the souls of mankind are eternal beings and they will be forever in eternity future. Like I said earlier, either to eternal life or to eternal death. Uh, and yet all of us, when we were born, we were born because of, because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and their sin, we were all born into sin and death as well. They sinned because they wanted to be more like God than they already were. They were made in the image of God, and that wasn't good enough for them. And so they wanted what God had restricted. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God promised that in that moment they would die, and they did die spiritually. Their fellowship with God was broken. Uh, and they would one day physically die. And their children and their children's children and on and on would be born uh, as sinners with a sinful nature and would experience death, which is why we celebrate this Christmas that God sent His one and only Son, Jesus. And when God sent Jesus, He sent Him to be like us, 
to take on flesh. And rather than inheriting the sinful nature of mankind, Jesus, instead of being born of a man and a woman, He was born of a virgin. Uh, His conception was from the Holy Spirit. And He didn't inherit that sinful nature that all mankind did before. Nor did He in that moment want to usurp His Father. But He remained obedient His entire life. Uh, All the way to the point of death on the cross. When He died, when He was buried, and He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, gaining victory over our sin and the death that we all deserve. And so that all who would repent and believe in Him can experience that eternal life. And we get to experience that eternal life now and forevermore. This is why when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, or other places in the Gospels where it speaks about eternal life, it says it this way, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. They presently, right here, right now, have eternal life. This is not something we're waiting for in the future. We get to experience it right here and right now. Last week we considered our belief in the resurrection of the body, something that we look forward to. It's not something that we have right here and right now. But when we speak of the life everlasting, we're speaking of it Uh, in the sense that we have it right here and right now and we'll get to enjoy it in eternity future. This is why Jesus speaks of it in the present tense. There in John 3.36 or John 5.24 or John 6.47. And this is because Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting and He can offer uh, us this everlasting life. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it speaks of this story that I've been speaking of from the very beginning when God made Adam and Eve in the garden uh, to be able to eat of all the trees of the garden, including the tree of life, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they broke God's commandment, they were, uh, their fellowship with God was broken. They were kicked out of the garden. And yet, in the end, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus promises the church, He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We get to experience eternal life now, yes, but we will also get to experience eternal life in its fullest when we are with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth, in paradise with God. When we will once again with all restored humanity get to eat from the tree of life that Adam and Eve got to partake uh, of in the beginning. It's this both now and in the future reality. We don't have to wait to receive this eternal life. 
in the future. Peter describes it this way. Blessed be the God, in the opening of his letter, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. That is, to a life right here, right now, through faith in Jesus. We've come from death to life. We are enjoying eternal life if we've trusted in him. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And also, in verse 4, he speaks of the future. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have this hope uh, now and in the future, eternity future, uh, of life everlasting. And if that's the case, then we ought to begin living life in the here and now as if we have an everlasting life in the future. We ought to begin practicing for the real life that is to come, not living as if this is the real life that we're living for. Richard Baxter, uh, one who uh, went before us and wrote a very helpful book for pastors nowadays, he writes in The Saints' Everlasting Rest, he says, Praising God is the activity of angels and saints in heaven. It will be our own everlasting work And if we were now doing it more, we would be more like what we shall be then. Here is the most vivid symbol of heaven that I know upon the earth. It is when the people of God, with a deep sense of His majesty and mercy, join together both in heart and in voice to sing His praises from hearts abounding with love and joy. This is why when we gather together as God's people, uh, week by week, remembering the truth of God's salvation in Jesus Christ and stand to sing with one another His praise and honor and glorify Him, remembering the mercy that He has shown to us and the joy of life and everlasting life that we have, we see a glimpse of heaven. Uh, We see a little tiny taste of what heaven is going to be like when uh, a diverse group of people from all of our different backgrounds, all of our sinful backgrounds, have come to realize the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we can't help but get up early on Sunday morning while the world is sleeping or preparing for a game this afternoon. And we set aside that time to worship God the Lord Jesus Christ, with one another. And we gather around one another to encourage one another to do it all the more, knowing that one another might be in moments of despair and need to be encouraged, or to come around one another and celebrate moments of joy, uh, to to be reminded again of, of Jesus Christ and the life He offers. And so we ought to be living right here and right now, for eternal life, uh, in the eternal life that we've 
been enjoying. But we also want to live our lives for the eternal life of others. We don't simply want to enjoy life everlasting in this holy huddle of Christians that call ourselves the Fields Church. We want to live in such a way that we build up one another in the church uh, so that we can be sent out to be the church in the world. And we can go share of this grace and this mercy that we've received with others. That we can go share of this life everlasting that is available to all who would repent and believe with the world, with anyone who would listen to us. This is why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore, I endure everything. Everything. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that is the church, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says he's willing to endure everything for the sake of those who will be saved but have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he lists out in other places in in his letters all that he's willing to endure. Suffering, persecution, beatings, whippings, imprisonments, even to the point of death. Paul was willing to endure all of those things so that those who have yet to realize who Jesus Christ is would hear the good news of Jesus and His his coming, His living, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and would themselves put their hope and faith in Jesus and believe, and they get to experience life ever, everlasting as well. Would you be able to say the same thing that Paul says? I'm willing to endure everything for the sake of fill in the blank, so that they might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What are you willing to endure this Christmas so that that person might obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ? Are you willing to sing a song over your infant in a room among other parents so that they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ even though you look like a fool? Are you willing to share the gospel at your Christmas dinner table? with someone who may not believe and share the hope that you have with them? You willing to write a letter to a coworker who has yet to believe in Jesus Christ? This is what we're praying for as a church, that now in this Christmas season we would be spurred on to share the gospel with those who have yet to believe now and into the new year. I've got boxes of the Gospel of John. And have been praying for you individually that you would be willing to read the Gospel of John with one unbeliever or or one brand new believer in hopes that they would believe or grow in their faith in Jesus Christ in this next year. What would you be willing to endure like Paul that someone else might come to experience life everlasting? 
We're not living like Christ. We're not living like Paul if we're keeping this life everlasting to ourselves and enjoying all of it and what it's worth and keeping it to ourselves. We need to press on. And I hope we can all say the last word together. Amen. I agree. This creed, in one sense, is a confession of faith of Christians for centuries. But in another sense, it's, it's a prayer. It's a, a prayer of declaration of who God is, and what He's done, what we believe, what's happened to us. And, and together, when we confess this, in the end of this confession, we all say, Amen. I agree. We together as Christ church, we believe these things to be true. But not just the, the truths in our head, we believe that the implications of those truths uh, as well. That not only do we believe in the life everlasting, but we believe that life everlasting is available to all who would repent and believe. And so we go and share it. We believe all these truths, but we believe in their implications as well, that we have to go and share these truths of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit with others, so that they too might believe them and be able to say with us, I agree, yes and amen. Who, who is that person whom the Lord has put on your heart and in your life, whom you hope at the end of 2023 next year, maybe at the end of Christmas this year, would be able to say amen with you to these things. Let's consider that. Because as Christians, there's an understanding of eternal life that we have. I hope our understanding of eternal life has deepened. But it's not a truth that's to be kept to ourselves, but one that is to be shared. We consider that the, the truth of where I began this morning in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him should have eternal life and not perish. What are we willing to give so that others can experience eternal life? Christ came and lived and died and rose and ascended and is coming again that we might have eternal life. If we're to live like Christ, what are we going to do so that others might experience the truth of the Gospel, hear the truth of the Gospel, see the truth of the Gospel lived out in front of them? It's going to take us living differently than the rest of the world this Christmas. Responding to gifts and wants and desires differently than the rest of the world. It's going to take us opening our mouths differently than the rest of the world this Christmas. It's going to take us sharing of this everlasting life with others. And so when I close this morning and I pray, I pray that you would take some time this moment to pray for yourself and for us as a church as well. That we would not simply believe these things in our head, but we would believe these things and the implication of these things for the days to come.
if you've yet to put your hope in Jesus Christ, and you've heard of the eternal life that is available to those who know Jesus, realize that you have great assurance of the fact that you know Jesus if you've followed Jesus in what He's commanded, repenting of your sins and believing in Him and following Him. And I'd encourage you to do that today. To not simply know about Jesus, but to know Jesus. To not simply know about Jesus, but to have Jesus. For he who has the Son has life everlasting. You can be guaranteed that you have the Son if you this morning have repented of your sins and believed in Him. And I urge you to do so this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would reveal Yourself to those who have yet to turn to You in faith once and for all. And that this morning, hearing these truths, they would respond in faith. That they would turn from their sins as many of us have, not perfectly, but faithfully, and would follow after You. That they, like Nicodemus, would be born again and enjoy life everlasting. And God, I pray that for those of us Christians who have gathered together here once again, we would know a little bit more of the reality of eternal life now and forevermore. And yet at the same time, remember that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what you have in store for those who love you. And that we would long for those days, that we would even pray towards those days and saying, come again, Lord Jesus, to bring about your kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. But Lord, at the same time, we commit ourselves to you that until you return, uh, Lord, we commit ourselves to living in the eternal life that you've given us right here and right now. Living differently from the world, knowing that we have hope for the future, and sharing of this eternal life that is available to all who repent and believe with those who have yet to turn to you. Lord, would you break our hearts for the lost around us who don't have the hope of everlasting life? Would you be uh, would, would you convict us and at the same time strengthen us to be able to say with Paul that we would be willing to endure all things for the sake of the elect who have yet to believe in you. Jesus, your example to us is really all we need. Remembering the gospel that you came and you lived and you died and you rose and you ascended so that we could enjoy life everlasting rather than eternal death. And so we praise you. We together as one voice stand and praise you this morning knowing that we are doing now what we'll be doing forever in eternity. Lord, may it be even more sweet this morning as we join together and praise you. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.